It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Gary Hamill once said, a noble purpose inspires sacrifice, stimulates innovation, and encourages perseverance. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Jonathan, what's our topic for today's episode? Do we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit backwards? Our theme text, Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. All right. Do we have the purpose of the Holy Spirit backwards? Joining us today also is Julie. Hi, gentlemen. And this is a topic a lot of people don't understand, so I'm glad we're going to unravel some of the mystery. We are. So coming up in today's podcast... Have you ever thought about the completely unique way Jesus and the 12 apostles were able to use God's Spirit? We're going to talk about this in about 15 minutes. Do we get to use God's Spirit the same way the early followers of Jesus did? Actually, we don't. Find out what the differences are in about 30 minutes. And finally, what are we giving God's Spirit for anyway? Are our expectations in line with God's intentions? We're going to look at this head-on in about 45 minutes, but first, let's get going here. The call of Christianity is unique. It's a call to sacrifice and humility, a call to the subduing of one's own will in favor of God's will. While there are many noble purposes in this world and many humble and dedicated people, a Christian is called to the ultimate purpose— of eventually reconciling the world back to God. Even more unique than that, Christians are called to become a new creation based on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a grace-based privilege, and it's something we need to have a clear understanding of, as well as deepest respect for. So why does God's Spirit dwell within his chosen ones? What does it do for us? And even more importantly, what doesn't it do for us? There's a lot of details here in this subject, and a lot of material that, Julie, as you you alluded to earlier, is very, very much misunderstood. So, Julie, let's get started. Sure. So, I have a question for you about the Holy Spirit. Does God's power ever serve me as a tool to express my vision of what can be? And let me explain what I mean. There's a popular phrase among Christians, decree and declare. Do I have the power to decree and declare positive things for my life? And I'll give you a scripture. Job's friend Eliphaz the Temanite sure thought so, because he told Job in Job 22, 28 from the Amplified Bible, you will also decide and decree a thing and it will be established for you. And the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. So, Rick and Jonathan, is this how the Holy Spirit works in our lives? I have a lot to say about that. I'm going to refrain myself for the most part, but I'm going to say sometimes things aren't the way you think they are. I'm just going to okay. leave it at that at this moment. We'll, we'll really open that up as we go. But let, let, let's start. Let's understand how the Holy Spirit works. So let's start with a quick overview of God's Spirit 
in the Old Testament, because Job is from the Old Testament. It's actually a very ancient book from the Old Testament. But let's go all the way back to the beginning and just trace a little bit about the way the Spirit works. And we're going to learn a lot by just doing this. God's Spirit first appears in Scripture as the moving force of creation. If you want to see God's Spirit, you open the Bible, you go to the first two verses, and there it is. Jonathan, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. Or 1 through 2, I'm sorry. One through three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, spirit in this Old Testament verse means wind by uh, resemblance breath, that is sensible or even violent exhalation. So basically, it's God's unseen power. Okay, so while we're at the beginning... We know from Genesis 1.27 that man was made in the image of God. So like you just read, God spoke things into existence. So those Christians who believe in this decree and declare movement say that we have, who have faith should be able to do the same. And to declare is to state a fact out loud. To decree is to issue an authoritative command. So some will say, rather than petitioning God for something, we have been given the power to decree it happen, such as, I declare and decree my child will be born healthy. I declare and decree I will get that job. Okay, uh, Julie, I declare and decree you have some, not you, but that perspective <laughs> has some very specific issues with misrepresenting our role in relation to God. Yes, we were made in God's image. We are not made with God's power. We are not made with his foresight, with his, with his plan. So we have to be really careful in these things. Again, we'll, we'll develop this further as we go, but let's go through the Old Testament and just put this together. Let's look at some instances where the Holy Spirit shows itself in the Old Testament, some of which you, you may not be aware of. In Genesis 41, 38 to 40, Joseph was spoken of by Pharaoh as having God's Spirit within him. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man whom the Spirit of God is? Then Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So Pharaoh, because Joseph interprets a dream that he didn't even know, sees Joseph in a very different light. And he says the Spirit of God is in him. And I think that's, a, that's an incredible observation for the Pharaoh of Egypt. But it gives us a sense that God was working with him. God's power, like you said, Jonathan, we're going to expand that in a little bit. So we see the Spirit in relation to the life of Joseph. Let's go just a little bit further. Next book of the Bible is Exodus. God specifically set his Spirit to work in a very specific craftsman regarding the tabernacle. This is in Exodus 31, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to make artistic designs for working gold and silver and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carvings of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. So at this stage, the operation of the Holy Spirit is primarily mechanical. Certain people are given this supernatural ability to help move God's plan along, like Bezalel, knowing how to be a craftsman. 
even the prophets, for example, didn't always understand what they were even saying. It, it is very mechanical. It's like lending of the spirit of God, uh, the lending of his power. We put the battery in and it makes it go. And we take the battery out and the machine stops working. <laughs> That's good. And so, and, and I'll tell you though, mechanical or not, I, I used to do some fine furniture making and carving and all that. I would have loved to have Bezalel's hands to just see what you could do with them. But it's, it's a wonderful thing to see God's spirit, God's power working within him to make these wonderful, wonderful things uh, for the tabernacle, which was the sanctuary in which they, they were to praise and honor God. Well, let's go further. The Old Testament prophets had God's Spirit working in them as evidenced by what they said, what they wrote, and what they did. We're not going to take the time to go through them. But the last of these prophets, Old Testament prophets, was John the Baptist. Now, I know he's mentioned in the New Testament, but he's leading up to Jesus, so he's still an Old Testament prophet, so to speak. Here is what the angel Gabriel told John the Baptist's father as this angel prophesied his birth. Jonathan, let's go to Luke 1, 15 through 17. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So with John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel specifically says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in his mother's womb. He had a special work, and from, from, his, from, from, from his development, he was being prepared to prepare the way for Jesus. This is a very remarkable use of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same as we will see as what happens with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Hey, Rick, just a side note. This is an important uh, thing to know. The Holy Spirit always comes from these two words. Uh, and here's what holy means. It means sacred, pure, morally blameless or religious, ceremonial, consecrated. And spirit, it means a current of air that is a breath, blast, or breeze. To sum up, God's Holy Spirit is his sacred and unseen power and influence. And that's an important factor. We need to understand it that way because that's the way it's defined. And we saw that in the creation uh, example. We see it's God's power and influence doing God's bidding. We know that it was God's power, his spirit, that overshadowed Mary for the miraculous conception of Jesus. And again, we go to this is before Jesus, but the Holy Spirit plays a part here, Luke 1, 34 to 35. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So you have the power of God's influence. God's power putting that, the conception in place with Mary. And when we say, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, it, we really mean that, because you have that sense that God's power made that happen. It was unequivocally a miracle, unequivocally unnatural. God can do that only when he sees fit. One more example of, again, New Testament character, but it's before Jesus, so we look at it as the Old Testament bringing us to Jesus. We know that Elizabeth, and this is John the Baptist's mother, spoke before Jesus' birth with the help from the Holy Spirit. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 to 42. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth speaks filled with the Spirit. And that's an important aspect of this. We're seeing God's Holy Spirit work in very specific ways before Jesus. And we wanted to go from creation all the way up to before Jesus is born to illustrate the functions of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see it develops and changes with time. So the Holy Spirit's function before Jesus, what do we know about it? Jonathan, get, let's get started. There's several points here. Well, God's power put creation in place. And God's power drove the accomplishment of physical creations to glorify him. God's power dictated specific messages for his people throughout specific individuals. And God's power surrounded the coming of Jesus with understanding for those involved. And God's power gave Jesus his human life and thoroughly guided Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist. So we have God's power working through and setting things up. There is use in, in, in creation. There's use within human beings. There's the guiding of, of miracles in the Old Testament. There's a miraculous conception. There's the, the guiding for people to be able to speak and understand. So you can see the Holy Spirit doing a lot of different things here. So, so Julie... Let, let's kind of wrap this up now. Yeah, let me go back to my original question. Good. So does God's power ever serve me as a tool to express my vision of what can be? Should I decree and declare like Job's friend Eliphaz said to do? Remember, we talked about you should decree a thing and it'll be established and the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. And in our examples, declare is all about God's will. His word and his actions, uh, but in current day thinking, declaring something says you want something to happen for personal reasons. That seems selfish or self-willed. It, it is selfish and self-willed, and we're going to find very, very unequivocally it is outside of the will of God. So when we look at that scripture in Job and you say, well, that's what it says, the answer to that is there's much more to that. You better understand the context of what it says, and understand who's speaking under what conditions to understand its actual meaning. There's much more to this. So to answer your question, Julie, no. God's power is always used exclusively to bring God's vision and God's plan to fruition. It's all about his providence and not my idea of the future. And we'll put a little bit more about that Job answer in the CQ Rewind show notes for this week. And that's an important answer. So, folks, you really do want to pay attention to that. You know, it, it's easy to see how God's Spirit has been an ever-present power in all of what we know about regarding life. Once Jesus was on the scene to preach the gospel, what changed with the way the Holy Spirit worked? It is important to realize that God's master plan of redemption progressed. It did so in stages. God adapted the operation of his spirit to fit what was needed at any specific stage. Jesus, coming as the man who would provide salvation, was the first to experience a monumental change in how God's spirit would work. So there is a similarity. What we're saying is when God's spirit worked in human beings up until Jesus, there is always a similarity in how it worked. Jesus is going to come on the scene, and that is going to be very significantly different. 
So I've got another question for you. Does God's power ever serve me as a tool to accomplish the mission I've set for myself? And another popular phrase out there is name it and claim it. <laughs> and the name it and claim it folks will use two scriptures, John 15, seven, where Jesus is speaking. And he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And Mark eleven twenty two to 23, where Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Whoever says this to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt it in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. So this mountain is any obstacle in our lives. And some today say that we have to speak to that mountain by boldly naming what we want and the power of God will make it happen. But we've got to actively claim this bold and open-ended promise in order for it to come true. It's kind of like a twist on the power of positive thinking. Yeah, and it's a twist. It's a twist on the power of God's word as well. And it's an unfortunate twist. How many millions and millions of Christians have done this and been disappointed? And you've got to ask yourself, why? Because there's another scripture. You want to quote scriptures, there's another scripture that says in James, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. You ask to, 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 to consume it upon your own desires. We cannot be attempting to use God's spirit to name it and claim it, uh, decree and declare anything from our perspective. That's not its purpose. We're going to unfold that. Let's look at how the Spirit worked with Jesus here first, though. Jesus was outwardly, this is really important, Jesus was outwardly identified as having God's Spirit when he began his ministry. And we know that uh, through Mark chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, that's Matthew 3, 16 and 17. I knew that, Jonathan, but that was a test. And you did, I, you I, did I'm really glad well. I passed. I'm glad I passed. All right. <laughs> After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You have outward manifestation of God's Spirit coming to Jesus. Jesus, right after that baptism, immediately and then always afterwards followed the Spirit's leading. We know that. This is the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. So Jesus was driven by the Spirit, and he listened. That's the key. The Spirit didn't take over Jesus' legs and make him run someplace that he didn't want to go, he listened to what God's power was driving him to do. This is important. It came down upon him in a very uh, outward sense, and he listened. The very first thing he did was go fast and pray for 40 days, and he continued to listen with the same intensity throughout his three-and-a-half-year ministry. We have to keep those things in mind. Jesus relied upon the power of God's Spirit to show the people the message of the gospel. We know this through Luke 5, 17, and then Jonathan, right after that, let's go to Luke 6, 19. It kind of wraps it up. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And Luke 6, 19, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. So this was Jesus using the Spirit, 
This is Jesus being given the Spirit, following the Spirit, and administering the Spirit the way that God would have it. And that's the entire point of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus several times in his ministry said, I do what my Father tells me. Where he goes, I go where he goes, where he tells me to go. And remember when he raised Lazarus, what did he do? He looked up and prayed just so the people could see that the power wasn't coming from him. And he says, I know you always hear me. I'm just saying this out loud so they know that what's going to happen comes from you. He took direction from God. He didn't have the audacity to try to give God direction. And that's where a lot of Christians get this backwards. They have this audacity to decree and declare something. They're giving God direction. That is not scriptural. Just ask Jesus. He never, ever did such a thing. So we see Jesus using the Spirit and, and following its guidance throughout his whole life. Now, let's see how he transitions that near the end of his life. In the upper room, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus hinted to Peter about a dramatic change that would soon take place. And this was very specifically in relation to Peter, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's a curious thing for Jesus to say. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren? Peter was like the, the, the chief of his followers. What do you mean when you're converted? There's something mysterious here because there was a change that was going to come to Peter. That's what Jesus was alluding to. He was saying something's going to happen and the strength that you have is now going to be immaterial compared to the strength that God will give you. You need to follow it. So later, Jesus explains that his followers would also be given the privilege and power of God's Spirit. And that's what Jesus alluded to in Luke 22. Let's go to John 14, 16 and 17. Same evening, this is on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that it may dwell with you into the age the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, because it does not see nor know it, but you know it, because it dwells with you and will be in you. That spirit of truth that dwells with you, that's also described in the Bible as the spirit of liberty, the spirit of a sound mind, the Holy Spirit of promise, the spirit of wisdom, glory, grace, prophecy. These titles repeat many times, and they're used interchangeably to describe this same Holy Spirit, and they're contrasted with the spirit exemplified by Satan. We see the spirit of fear, the spirit of bondage, the spirit of the, of the world, for example. And, and it's interesting that the spirit is never described as the spirit of decreeing and the spirit of declaring. I'm just saying it's not described that way. We like to read those things in because it makes us feel good and makes us feel powerful, but it doesn't make us spiritual. Let's be plain and simple about those things. Jesus, before his crucifixion, unequivocally told his followers to wait for the Spirit. You don't demand it, you wait for it. John 16, 5 to 7. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send it to you. So Jesus is very specific that this helper, 
What is the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. He's described that already. And this is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had within him throughout his ministry. And he's saying, I'm going to send it to you. The same influence that I used will be sent to you. So it's important for us to see the Holy Spirit's function in and through Jesus. We are, we're looking at, at a very, very quick snapshot of Jesus' life and the Spirit. So what do we know about the Holy Spirit's function in and through Jesus specifically? Jonathan, let's get started with that. Well, God's power visibly and publicly rested upon him and begat him at his baptism. This is a big point. We have to remember this because this is going to come back later on to help us understand some, some other things. Julie, go ahead. God's power drove Jesus to go and do and say what the Father wanted revealed. God's power gave Jesus gifts of insight, foresight, wisdom, and healing to spread the gospel to others. And God's power was invested into others by way of physical healing and raising from the dead. So God's power worked through Jesus. Jesus was the conduit. Jesus didn't direct God's power. He listened to it, and he let it direct him. This is important as we understand this. Now, let's jump ahead. Jesus dies, and he tells the disciples to stay in Jerusalem until Pentecost. At Pentecost, the 50th day, at Pentecost is the begetting of the Spirit upon the apostles. And this was also a publicly witnessed event. So, Jonathan, let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So you have a very specific thing happening. You have these tongues of fire resting upon the apostles, and we said that they're be. It's the Spirit begetting them. What was happening for the first time in human history, except for Jesus, the Spirit would now dwell within these human beings. These 11 were chosen ones to have the Spirit dwell within them first and foremost, and it gave them miraculous power. It wasn't their power. It was God's power to be used as God had designed it to be used. It was a publicly witnessed dramatic event. Here's what happens after Pentecost. Now, Peter speaks, and he and there's many, many, many are converted. The apostles lived the gospel. They taught, they prophesied, they healed, and they suffered for all of those things. And one quick example of healing, and there's lots of them, but just one. Jonathan, let's go to Acts chapter 3, verses 2 to 4, then verses 6 to 8. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's a dramatic example, and every time I read this, it makes me smile when I think of this man who could never walk, walking and leaping and praising God. It's just a, a beautiful picture. How did that happen? Because the Spirit of God moved in Peter to do that. That's how it happened. 
Peter had the Spirit within him, and this was an example of the Spirit actually working through Peter to bring attention to Jesus Christ. It wasn't to bring attention to the Apostle Peter. It was to bring attention to Jesus. That was the point. Now, we just barely touched on the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we want to just put this on the table. So the Holy Spirit's function in and through the apostles, now we talked about the Holy Spirit's function in and through Jesus, now we're looking just at the apostles, nobody else. What do we know about that? Jonathan, why don't you get us started? God's power worked through him as it did through Jesus, except to a lesser degree except to a lesser degree. We know through Scripture Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit all the time, and we know the kind of work that Jesus did. The apostles had God's Spirit, and it worked within them, and they did mighty miracles, but they were imperfect. So it worked in them, but just to a lesser degree. You know, and and the the Scriptures say that Jesus got the full measure of the Holy Spirit— And everyone since then only gets a measure of it. Right. So another point would be that God's power visibly and publicly rested upon them at Pentecost. They're now what we would call spirit begotten to a new life in Christ. And it was visible and it was public. The spirit came to them and everybody knew something dramatic happened without exception. God's power guided them to go and do and say what was necessary to preach the gospel. And God's power gave the apostles gifts of insight, foresight, wisdom, tongues, and healing to spread the gospel to others. God's power was invested into non-believers by way of physical healing, raising from the dead, and imparting spiritual gifts. So we have God's power working through them in a lot of similar ways to Jesus, but just to a lesser degree. They're imperfect men, and and God's power is very visible. They made mistakes. We know they, they made mistakes, but his power was still incredibly visible. So going back to my original question, does God's power ever serve me as a tool to accomplish the mission I've set for myself? Can I name it and claim it? Now, what about Romans 4.17? Romans 4.17 is special because it says, I can call into being things that do not exist. And this is used by some to prove that we can make things happen. Yes, that's exactly what it says. And folks, I would implore you to read the context of the verse because the one who calls things into being things that weren't is God, not us. So please, when you want to make something really big and dramatic, stop using the Bible as a tool for your dramatics. Let the Bible teach us what it's meant to teach us. Let's not bend it out of, out of position, because that's what that's doing. So, Julie, to answer that question, um, you know, it's, it's a very, very important, very difficult situation. Jonathan, you had something there. Yeah, the apostles are the foundation of the church, Jesus' 12 representatives. How can we learn from them and realize that the authority they had been given is very different than those disciples which came later? See, and that's the thing. They had a different kind of authority than, 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 than we do. And Jesus had a different kind of authority than them. The Holy Spirit was different in each of these circumstances. So God's power is always used in us exclusively to accomplish God's mission for us. Nothing else. God's mission for us in his time. And we can't just pick and choose words from different scriptures. We've got to make sure we check that context. It's really important to understand. It worked one way in Jesus and a very similar way to a lesser degree in the apostles. The way God's Spirit was put to work through Jesus and the apostles 
It is awe-inspiring and it is breathtaking. Did all of Jesus' disciples immediately receive the same degree of might and power from God's Spirit? As we follow through with the unfolding of the gospel message, we're going to see a direct correlation, now focus on this, a direct correlation between the need for dramatic and outward miracles to establish Christianity as credible and the reducing of those miracles as the gospel took hold. God's power always provides what is needed. He doesn't always provide what is dramatic, and he doesn't always provide what we'd like. He provides what's needed for the sake of his plan. And Julie, I think you have another question. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So does God's power ever serve as a tool to fulfill my preferences in accomplishing his mission for me? So in other words, does God's power give me special powers if I'm doing what I think he wants done? For example, can I get the power of faith healing? This is something that's real popular out there. Like when a person says they are, quote, slain in the spirit, this is they are so moved by the power of the Holy Spirit that a person falls over as their own body energy fades away and it's replaced by the spirit. After all, Isaiah 66, 16 in the King James version says, by fire and by sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, the slain of the Lord will be many. The Bible has examples of people suddenly falling down, like Ezekiel, Daniel, three three disciples, and even the apostle John in Revelation. Should I expect to have this happen to me when I'm begotten of the Holy Spirit? No, absolutely. (laughs) You want to think about it? No, I don't. The scripture in Isaiah is talking about people who are dead. It says the slain. Literally slain. Yes, literally slain. So let's not misrepresent those things. And when you take the idea of of individuals falling to the ground out of of fear or out of reverence, that is not this idea of of passing out because the Spirit overcomes you. It is a human response of great awe. So please... Don't take the scriptures and turn them into little storytelling devices to make something dramatic that doesn't exist in scripture. The idea of being, quote, slain in the, in the spirit is not a scriptural concept. It has no place in scripture. Let's be clear. And folks, apologize if that's coming across too harshly, but please read the Bible in its context and we'll see different things. Let's look at the spirit working through the followers of Jesus after Pentecost, because there is some very, very dramatic things that does that do go on here. John 14, 12, first we'll set this up. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now see, some of us take this to mean, these greater works, that we should be doing more magnificent works than even Jesus did. But we don't see it that way. What we see this verse meaning is that the, the work is larger, more along the lines of bigger and broader in scope. How do we know? Because the early church was spreading the gospel in all kinds of places. Jesus could be one place at a time. That the 12 apostles could be 12 places at a time. And their converts could be even further out. The breadth, that's the greater work. It's bigger in that way. The early church demonstrated this broader scope through the gifts of the Spirit as well. And so now, Julie, we're going to get to that direct question about the gifts of the Spirit. Jonathan, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. Chapter 12, verse 4, and then verses 7 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as it wills. So the idea is God puts this in place, and he did, he absolutely did give these incredible gifts of the Spirit. They were gifts beyond the individual's physical and mental capacity, unequivocally, absolutely he did. Now, many Christians today look at this list and seek to find what their role is in these gifts. Oh, like, which ones are for me? Are these gifts automatic for all spirit-begotten ones? Should we have reasonable expectation for receiving these gifts? No, we should not. Well, then, then, then why? Well, Rick, what about this current-day attitude? When I have the idea that I should be able to do this because I have the Spirit, therefore I can, what do you think? I think that we need to be really careful because we get ourselves in trouble when we try to apply something that doesn't belong. Now, it would be a nice thing to be able to do all of these kinds of things because we say we have the Spirit. But what we need to realize is what is the Spirit within us for? How did it get there? It's all about God's grace. It's not about anything I can do or would like to do or would think would be really cool to do that I think would be a great witness. It's about God's plan, God's providence, God's grace, nothing more than that, nothing less than that. Let's, let's, let's carefully consider the pattern of the gifts beginning right after Pentecost. Remember, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter is preaching, and thousands are converted right there. What happened to the 3,000 brand-new individuals who were given God's Spirit right at that time regarding gifts and miracles? What happened to them regarding the spiritual gifts? This is really fascinating. Acts chapter 2 Verses 37 to 39 and 41 to 43, this is Peter preaching and then the people's reaction to what Peter was saying. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were about 3,000 souls. So you have 3,000 people that were baptized and, and, and given God's Spirit. This is a, an amazing conversion here. Continue. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Did you notice that it says that the signs and wonders were taking place through whom? The apostles. The apostles. What about the 3,000? It says they were, were, were listening to the apostles' teaching, and, and they were involved in fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, and they were in awe. They didn't have the gifts. Understand, it wasn't for everybody. It wasn't just you get the Spirit, you get the gifts. 3,000 prove that. So we have to realize that the gifts were a special thing. No evidence of any gifts of the Spirit given to any followers except the apostles at this point. So then you have to ask the question, well, then how did any disciples other than the apostles receive these gifts? What, what had to happen? 
Well, as an example, let's look at Acts 19, uh, verses 1 through 7. Paul came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. So these individuals were wanting to follow Jesus, didn't have a, a, a great understanding. Paul sees them, he realizes that they didn't understand what Jesus was about, and now they, he baptizes them, and, and, here, and here's what happens. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were all in about 12 men. So they're baptized, but then it says, then Paul lays his hands on them, and they received the gift of the Spirit to be able to speak in tongues. It didn't come as a function of baptism. It came as a function of Paul the Apostle laying his hands on them. This is an important aspect of the gifts of the Spirit. Julie, we've got some commentary from J. Vernon McGee that helps us to, to, to expand this a little bit. Yeah, this is in speaking of Ephesus. He said, there were many languages spoken there, just as there had been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. East and West met all along that coast, and it was a great city of its day. These men were now able to give the good news of Christ to the entire city. So Ephesus is this multi multicultural community where they could witness to everybody, you know, because everybody's got all these different languages. And it's well known for having the Greek temple of Diana, which was one of the seven wonders of the world before it became the ruins that it is today. So the gifts of the Spirit were given out of a need for the gospel to spread, not to be a toy, a plaything, an attention getter. It was out of the need to be able to communicate the gospel to the people around you who couldn't understand you and you couldn't understand them. There is a method to this that we scripturally must understand and absolutely respect. So the there's a few facts that surprised oh. me on this. Yes. Um, there's only three events of speaking in tongues in the New Testament, and that's Pentecost, the conversion of Cornelius, and here at Ephesus— and it's interesting that all three had an apostle present yes. because, as you were seeing, only the apostles could transfer the gifts to other individuals. Those individuals weren't able to pass those gifts along to keep them going through generations. When people say, I speak in tongues now, that's not the gift that has been passed down because they weren't able to. All the people listening heard in their native language because the gift was used solely for the purpose of communicating. The gospel had to get out wide and fast. This wasn't the indecipherable utterances people speak in some churches today. And you both did two wonderful podcasts for more detail. Uh, number 867, Should Christians Speak in Tongues? And number 1047, Why Did the Tongues of Fire Touch the Apostles? Excellent to listen to. So we've got these gifts, but we're seeing that they were limited. So now, and you already alluded to it, Julie, are those gifts in existence today? And we say the answer is no. Why do we say that? Because the scriptures tell us. Again, folks, we need to follow what the scriptures tell us so we can understand how the Spirit works in our lives now versus then. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, uh, verses 8 to 11, give us the answer about what, those, what happened to those gifts. Love never fails, 
But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So we've got gifts, he's saying, at that time, but they're going to be done away with. That's what he's saying. Why? Verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, there's an allusion to the gifts being almost childish. Why? Well, these miraculous gifts were there just for the time. What was this? And again, they were there so the gospel could be communicated uh, through language barriers and so forth. What was this perfect thing to come? We believe that this perfect thing is the complete word of God. Why? All of God's plan is revealed in the Bible. It was completed by the Apostle John writing Revelation around 96 uh, CE. The gifts would have faded as there would no longer be a need for miracles when all was already written and had been spread to so many nations and through so many languages. It had been spread. The work had been done. It could now be used by the gifts, uh, by, the, by the gift of God's word, not the gift of the Spirit. And Jonathan read that the gifts of prophecy, tongues would cease, and if there's knowledge, it will be done away. I don't think that means we can't expect to receive knowledge. I think it's that instantaneous mechanical knowledge where these these people spreading out the gospel knew exactly what to say, how to say it, in order to get that gospel message out. Right. The, the knowledge we receive now comes through study and through prayer and through fellowship right. and through through using the Word of God, and it's a maturity based thing. So let's look at the Holy Spirit's Spirit's function in and through the disciples in the days of the apostles. Okay, in the days of the apostles, what do we know? Julie, go, jo, jo, hang, hang on, Jonathan. Julie, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to go back to whether or not we should decree and declare. You know, it said a person who makes a decree has to be in position of power and authority, like the apostles were. Luke 10.1 tells us that Jesus appointed 70 people to go out ahead of him to cities that he would visit. And then in Luke 10.19, he tells those 70, Behold, I have given you authority to walk on snakes and scorpions and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. So, can't we claim, as followers of Jesus, this power of protection that Jesus gave to these 70 people? No, we can't. And the reason is really simple. Because those 70 were given a specific mission for a specific time. It was before the day of Pentecost, before the indwelling of the Spirit came. And they were given that. The Spirit was given them on loan. And it had an expiration date. And when they finished the mission, it was done. Just like with the prophets, just like with everybody else before. Don't mix the two. And it's dangerous when we start to go down that road. We lose our our credibility because we lose our focus on what the Word of God is saying. And we don't get to appropriate what they had to ourselves. Of course not, because it's not given in that way now. Next segment, we're all about today. That's That's where we're heading with this. So let's wrap up the days of the apostles, the followers of in the days of the apostles. Jonathan, let's get started. What do we know about the Spirit with them? God's power worked through them as it did through the apostles, except to a lesser degree. And God's power rested on and begat them and was primarily manifested from the inside out, meaning it wasn't a big show. Right. This is a big difference. The apostles, it was a big show. Jesus, it was a big show. The followers, no, it wasn't. God's power guided them to go and do and say what was necessary to preach the gospel. 
and God's power gave some disciples some gifts of insight, foresight, wisdom, and healing to spread the gospel to others. And God's power was manifest to non-believers by way of spiritual gifts for the purpose of witnessing to the power of God through Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of similarities to the apostles and a lot of similarities to Jesus, but it's a little different because the Spirit didn't—God's plan didn't need it to be outward to, to get it started. It was there. The foundation was set. We're just now building. Things change. So back to the original question, does God's power ever serve as a tool to fulfill my preferences and accomplishing his mission for me? Um, can I, do I get these special powers? So if I'm doing what I think he wants done, will the Holy Spirit allow me to get, make that happen? You know, I want to go back very quickly to decree and declare. You know, you talked about Eliphaz, the, the, the friend of Job, saying that. Let's understand Eliphaz, first of all, told Job something that wasn't true. Joel, he told Job he had been disobedient. He told Job he had to get back into God's graces. That was a lie. That was not true. That was false. And this is how Job, Eliphaz told Job to get back in, into God's graces, which he never left. God was mad at Eliphaz, and Job had to pray for him afterwards because he misrepresented him. God, and very quickly, God, when he's talking to Job later, and chapters later, he says to Job, let me tell you what you should decree or declare. And he says, you Uh declare how powerful I am. I, God, Uh am. So that is a completely irrelevant application of decree and declare. You're taking something way out of context. We can't do that. God's powers always use us in us exclusively to fill God's mission for us according to his way. And coming up in the next segment, it's about growth and maturity to be Christ-like. It's not about gifts. No. And we need to understand that it comes down to growth and maturity. God's wisdom is evident in how he altered the administering of his spirit through the ages. God has a purpose. So what about us? Has God's spirit diminished over these last centuries? Are we disadvantaged? (laughs) It kind of, just looking on the surface, it can look that way. But actually, it is completely opposite. Living now in these end times gives us the advantage of having the Bible, commentaries, concordances to feed our understanding through the Spirit. We have the advantage of looking back through history and seeing prophecies fulfilled. Now the Spirit's work, primary work, is its only work. Why are we given the Spirit? It all comes down to where we are now, and you take away all of those other things, and you've got this development process going on. So another question, does God's power ever serve as a tool to grant my desires along my Christian way? And there's another phrase, but you're getting tired of these, um, (laughs) confess it and possess it. So what if my desires are good? For example, some teach that this is acceptable. I decree that before the end of this year, every eligible single person I know shall receive a marriage proposal in Jesus's name. I decree that enough is enough of sickness, disease, failure, and disappointment in my life today. I decree that the God I serve shall crown me with all-around favor this year in Jesus' name. And these are actual uh, declares and decrees from um, a, a minister. What is the difference between petitioning God in prayer and forcing him to act by making this declaration of the power given to us, seemingly, by certain scriptures? 
first of all, there is no seemingly giving the power by certain scriptures. It's a gross misrepresentation. And the difference is asking God versus telling him. When I decree something to God Almighty, who is acting as God in this? Let's be honest. Let's be plain. And you say, well, it's an act of faith. No, it's an act of pride. It's an act of ego. It's an act of unscriptural application. That's what it is. Let's call it for what it is. When, 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 when Job was told to do that, it was wrong. It's never shown up as right anywhere in Scripture. End of story. That finishes it. Let's <laughs> not do that. Please. So even if I use in Jesus's name, that doesn't erase that. No. And here it's we're we're not causing it. I think that's part of the issue. We believe our declarations are causing something to be as as opposed to um, God's power and authority being the one that causes things to be. Right. No wonder people in the world look down on Christianity when it's misrepresented like this. Yeah, and, and it, you're right. It's, it's a gross misrepresentation. And just remember the Crusades, the killing of countless thousands was done, what? In Jesus' name. So just because you say the name mm. of Jesus doesn't mean you're on Jesus' side. Let's be clear. Let's be honest. Let's put this in perspective. Right. And for more on this topic, episode 725, Who Gets Their Prayers Answered, was very good. And don't forget, we've taken all the notes for you. Our CQ Rewind show notes for all our episodes, they're available free at ChristianQuestions.com and on the Christian Questions app, and you can sign up for our newsletter, and we'll deliver them to you every single week. Let's focus this in as we, as we wrap this up in our final segment. The primary work of God's power and influence dwelling within us. What is it? Well, first, two pieces. First, it's the reworking of our minds to become spiritual. The reworking of our minds to become spiritual, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, the transformation of our very being to one that will have a spiritual birth. We know this by 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So now we talked about that Holy Spirit being more mechanical in the Old Testament, but here there's a change in operation. It's more explanatory and sympathetic. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19 says in part that we're strengthened with power through his Spirit so that Quote, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God, end quote. That's a totally different way of operating. Right, and there's no decreeing and declaring there, is there? There's not. It is mm -hmm. learning, it's maturing, it's growing, it's working together. It is, it is an internal thing that has an expression through a, a, a crystallized character. That's what this is about. Folks, look, we, we like theatrics, but the value of God's spirit and God's grace far surpasses all of those things. Let's focus on what it's really about. So let's look at this transformation and the role of the spirit. What does this transformation require? Well, first, it requires the fruitage of our lives to change. What my life produces must be different. God's Spirit is key to this development. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, then 19 through 23, and then verse 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I bet you like reading the last half of that scripture than the first half. (laughs) So much more. (laughs) Today, the followers of Jesus are supposed to cultivate these fruit of the Spirit in proportion as we come into harmony and obedience with the will of God. So instead of getting these miraculously, these personally developed gifts are now more valuable and they're they're not as outwardly dramatic that's for sure because they all happen inside of us but we still can make a difference with the holy spirit by having these fruit of the spirit and blessing others do you want outwardly dramatic or do you want inwardly transformational transformational brings you to heaven outwardly dramatic gives you a good show take your time think about which one you want and then let's pursue godliness This transformation requires us to humbly and sometimes haltingly bring our burdens before God with the help of His Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because it intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what does that mean that when it said the spirit intercedes with groanings? How does it groan? Well, isn't the point here that there is no experience that is too deep or too hard for us to bring before God, even if we don't know how to? We still have to bring it. Let God's spirit help us. Uh, to present it before God. And I think that's exactly the point. The idea of of bringing our deepest, hardest, heaviest burdens, even when you are speechless, you bring them before God. And as we are attempting to find a way, God's Spirit will make sure, His influence makes sure that it's communicated because your heart is in the right place, because you want to be serving God. So I think this is a beautiful example of the depth at which God's Spirit works on the inside. And folks, incidentally, nobody else sees that. There's no theatrics here. This is a personal conversation between you and God through Christ, and God's Spirit can help us with that conversation. You know, this, this transformation requires... It, 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 it's, it's such a, a, an overwhelming thing. It's not possible to have this transformation without hope which God's Spirit provides. We know that from Romans chapter 5, verses 1, then verses 3 to 5. Having been declared righteous then, by faith we have peace toward God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only so, but we also boast in the tribulations, knowing that tribulation doth work endurance, and the endurance experience, and the experience hope. And the hope doth not make ashamed, because the love of God hath been poured forth in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he hath given to us. So you have a because in there. We have hope because God's love has been given us through God's Spirit. That's the key. God's Spirit crystallizes the hope so we can get that endurance. It's all internal work. This transformation we're talking about requires a continuous desire to be wise and uplifting in God's eyes by the power 
you guessed it, of his spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 to 21. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Well, let God's Spirit help you to help others. This is about the fellowship of the saints, the growing together, the upbuilding of one another, the sharing with one another. And when I let God's Spirit work through me, and you let God's Spirit work through you, and we combine forces with God's Spirit, wonderful things happen when we co-labor together. This transformation is about becoming daily more selfless and embracing God's power, which dwells within us. Our final scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So all of these scriptures we've looked at, and, and, and this is about the transformation, the transformation from within. So when we look at the Holy Spirit function in and through the disciples after the days of the apostles, these, this, is, this is what it's been describing. So what do we know? There Again, five points on this. Jonathan, let's get started. God's power works through us as it did through the apostles, except to a lesser degree. God's power rests on and begets us and is primarily manifest from the inside out. There's no big fanfare or show. God's power guides us to go and do and say what was necessary to preach the gospel. And God's power is manifest to us through providence, character development, and spiritual maturity. We don't need miracles. We have providence, and God's providence is sufficient His way will always be our highest spiritual welfare. And God's power is manifest to non-believers by way of our witness in thought, word, and deed. So we can see that the internal is much more powerful than the external gifts because the internal is eternal. The gifts were temporary. That's the point here. Julie, you want so to... Back, yeah, yeah, back to my yeah, original yeah, question. Yeah. Does God's power ever serve as a tool to grant my desires along the Christian way? no matter how noble they may be, because God wants me to be blessed, right? Yes, he does. But it doesn't mean that we get to dictate to God how that happens. Let's let God's providence work for us. God's power is always used in us exclusively to transform our, transform our lives into faithful disciples. Folks, look, we have taken a hard look at how the Holy Spirit is meant to work in our lives. And to find that out, we traced it through the entire Bible and watched how its function changed over time. Now at the end of the age, we're at the time where God's Spirit is developing those last few who are part of the true church to be in heaven, to work with the reconciling of the world of mankind. It's an internal transformation. That's why we have God's Spirit, so we can, by God's grace, share God's plan with the rest of the world once the resurrection starts. That's the beauty of God's Spirit in our time and our age. Don't misrepresent it. Look at the scriptures, see them in context, then follow God's will and God's way. Think about it. 
Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, <laughs> this is different. What's my battle plan to defend against Satan's attacks? This is part of our Women in the Bible series. You don't want to miss this. Talk to you next week.